Well, Ephesians chapter 5. It's on page 1159. 1159 if you're using a pew Bible. We'll start at verse 15. Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Several years ago, my uh, parents had a fire in their house. Maybe you remember, some of some of you may remember I was telling you about that a couple years ago. It didn't burn the house down, but it just ruined the inside. Fortunately, the fire department put it out in time so that it could be, uh, before it took down the whole structure. But I remember I flew out there to visit my family and uh, did a little walking tour through the place just to see it. And I'd never seen fire damage. I was stunned at, at what fire can do. I mean, all the walls were just blackened with smoke and soot. Uh, plastic and, and glass things had like melted. You know, the TV was kind of melted. It was a weird thing to see a melted TV. Uh, and the kitchen where the fire was, was totally burned out. You walk in the kitchen, there was you know, the two-by-fours, the floor joists were all burnt through. In fact, my dad had taken a big post and sort of just propped up the upper floor in the kitchen because the whole thing was crashing down. And worst of all was the smell. Fire smell, it's, it's incredible. I, we even salvaged some things from it, some old board games and things I had from when I was a kid. And you can still today smell that, that ashen smell from the fire. And as I walked through this place, I, I knew that the money was there from the insurance company to rebuild it. But you walk around and you think, could this place ever be livable again? Is it possible that they could actually clean and restore this place so that a, a human being could live in here? I mean, it didn't seem possible. Sometimes I feel that way about my own life as a Christian. <laughs> I look at my life and I go, can I really be conformed to the image of Christ? I mean, yes, God has saved me. I know I'm a Christian. The fires of hell have been put out. But I look around my life sometimes and I, I think, how long have I been a Christian? And I still have that attitude? And I still have this uh, thought in my heart? And I still this still came out of my mouth? And I still did this? I think... For crying out loud, is it ever going to be done? Is, is this life of mine ever going to be habitable for the presence of God? I know Christ is there, but sometimes I wonder how he can stay when I look at my life. And it can be discouraging in the Christian life. Where do we find the strength? How do we press forward in this great task of refurbishing and rebuilding a life that has been damaged by the fires of sin? How do we get rebuilt into the image of Christ and find the strength to do that? Especially as we look here in Ephesians. Uh, we've been studying Ephesians 4 and 5 recently, if you've been with us the last couple months. It's some convicting stuff. I've been very convicted by this. I, I try to square my life, candle my life up against Ephesians 4 and 5, and I say, whew, I've got a ways to go. And so where do I find the strength? Well, today's verse, we look at verse 18, is really a critical command in this whole issue of living the Christian life, living the way Christ wants us to live. It's in verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, 
be filled with the Spirit. It is by being filled with the Spirit, by living underneath the control and influence of the Holy Spirit, that we have the power to live the life that God wants us to live. In a sense, this is the command behind the commands. This is the command that if lived, will strengthen us to uh, do the Christian life. We need God's Spirit in us. Just as it was God who saved us, so it is that God who strengthens us in the task of being transformed from the inside out. God is the one who does the work through his spirit. So it says, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. In other words, live underneath the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit so that you will have power and strength to live the Christian life. Now, before we get to that interesting phrase, be filled with the spirit, you'll notice there's a negative before it. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And now, why did Paul throw that in there? It seems kind of random, but I think there's a reason. So first, let's, let's look at the negative command. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead, be filled with the Spirit. But let's look at the negative command, because I think once we understand what Paul's saying in the negative command, it will illuminate what he means by the positive, be filled with the Spirit. So do not get drunk on wine. Wine, uh, drunkenness, of course, is condemned throughout the scripture. Uh, drunkenness is not proper for God's people. Um, I'm probably going to freak out hearing a Baptist pastor say this. Uh, there's nothing wrong with a glass of wine with a meal. There's nothing wrong with a, a beer at a ball game. The problem is excessive drinking. The Bible condemns excessive drinking, not just... There's nothing wrong with alcohol. Alcohol isn't evil. It's just a, a substance. The problem is when it's drunk in excess, you know, I mean, it affects your mind. It affects your thoughts, it affects your emotions, it impairs your judgment, and it takes control of your life. <clears throat> so it's excessive drinking, drinking to drunkenness. Uh, today we might say, don't get buzzed, don't get drunk, don't get wasted. That's the point. Don't drink alcohol to such an extent that it begins to control us. And for some of us, we can't stop at one drink. Some of us can't put the brakes on. And if that's the case, then we have to forego alcohol altogether. But the point is, do not get drunk with wine. And here's the reason. It leads to debauchery. Boy, that's a good old word, isn't it? Debauchery. You know, when's the last time you used debauchery in a sentence? <laughs> what is debauchery anyway? You know, I don't, it sounds bad, but, but you know, what is debauchery? Debauchery is ruinous living. Debauchery is uh, a lifestyle that is impulse-driven, that just goes with the gut and as a result is self-destructive. Debauchery is dissipation, disillusion. It's, it's a kind of uh, self-destructive, ruinous lifestyle. That's what debauchery is. Maybe when Paul wrote this, he was thinking of the Bacchus cult in the ancient world. Maybe some of you know your Greek mythology. Remember Bacchus? He was called by the Romans Dionysius. Interesting, he's one of the, the gods that was worshipped in the Greco-Roman world. Not one of the original Olympian gods, he was actually kind of a, a god who, uh, who uh, just tried out for the team and made it and eventually became very popular. Uh, and of course, you can imagine why he was popular, because the way you worship Bacchus was you just had a huge party and everyone got drunk. I mean, that's, you can imagine that's why his church really became large and uh, well-populated. You know, that's what you do. To worship Bacchus, everybody would get wine and they would just drunk until everyone was totally sloshed. And then there'd be a big party, there'd be orgies, there would just be wild living. And so perhaps when Paul is saying, do not get drunk with wine because it leads to debauchery, 
the people of Ephesus could think of a picture in their mind of these wild Dionysian feasts, these, these crazy parties that went along with the worship of Bacchus. Well, we don't have the worship of Bacchus today, but we can think what debauchery looks like today. Debauchery today is uh, a guy at 3 in the morning, drunk, sitting at a, a table at Foxwoods, and he spent thousands of dollars, and he's blown his credit cards because he's just lived this ruinous kind of lifestyle, and, and he was able to, to get into it by being drunk and having his judgment impaired, and it led to financial ruin. Um, debauchery today is a guy sitting outside a bar, and he's bleeding, and he's bruised, probably needs some medical attention, because he got drunk, and he got loud, and he got angry, and then he got in a fight, and then he got beat up. Debauchery today is the woman who wakes up in the morning with a hangover in bed to some guy she doesn't even know. That's a ruinous lifestyle. Debauchery today is uh, some teenagers at a keg party who just get wild and loud and crazy, and then they go out in a car, and someone loses their life. That's ruinous, debauched living. And so Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, because this is what happens as a result. So put this all together now. I think the point that Paul's trying to make is the controlling influence that wine or alcohol has upon a person. That, that when we get drunk, alcohol takes over and controls us so that we live a ruined life. And that's the point. It's the influence that it wields. And as Christians, we're not supposed to be controlled by anything other than the Lord. As Christians, I'm supposed to be free in Christ. And that means nothing else should be controlling me. Not alcohol, not drugs, not food, not pornography, not pride, not ambition, not possessions, not bitterness and unforgiveness. I mean, there should be nothing in my life that is dominating me except the Lord Jesus Christ. As a Christian, I have one master, the Lord Jesus Christ. As a Christian, I have one king whom I'm, I'm to obey which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is my king. Jesus Christ is my Lord. And so nothing else can be running and, and ruining my life. And so I think that's the point. He, he, could, he said alcohol. He could have picked anything. All the different things in our lives which control us and lead to sinful living. So don't get drunk with wine. Don't live under the controlling influence of wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's the, the positive. Be filled with the Spirit. What in the world does that mean, exactly? To be filled with the Spirit. It's kind of an interesting phrase, isn't it? It's even more interesting if you know that in Greek, it's a, posit it's a uh, present tense imperative. What that means is, is that Paul is saying, be continually filled with the Spirit. So uh, the reason I find that interesting is because, well, I thought I already had the Holy Spirit. I thought when I became a Christian I had the Holy Spirit. So why is Paul telling me to be filled with the Spirit? Do I need more of the Holy Spirit? What's happening here? In fact, put your finger here in Ephesians. Look back at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul says, Having believed... Having believed, when I believed, when I became a Christian, when I put my faith in Christ, that's when you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So when I became a Christian, I received the Holy Spirit. 
The moment that you say, yes, Jesus, I want to trust you as my Savior, the Holy Spirit will come into your life and take up residence within you as a deposit guaranteeing your eternal inheritance. So why then does he say, be filled with the Spirit? Am I leaking? You know? Is the Holy Spirit leaking out of me somewhere? Do I have a crack in me and the Holy Spirit's leaking out? And it's like, I need to keep being filled because otherwise I'm going to leak it out. And if I don't get filled enough, pretty soon I'm going to be empty and not have any Holy Spirit anymore. You know, what does that mean, be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I think part of the problem in understanding this is that little word in English, with. Be filled with the Spirit. And it gives the, the connotation in English that, that the Holy Spirit is some kind of substance or dare I even say liquid, that has to fill us with it. That, that it's like we're, we have a big tank inside of us where the Holy Spirit's supposed to go, and, and we have to be filled up with it. And so there's some of us who are half full with the Spirit, and some of us who are a quarter full, and then there's some really special Christians who are all the way full. You know, and so different Christians have different amounts of Holy Spirit in their tank. And, and perhaps we burn it up or something, and we need to get refilled, we've got to go to the gas station. You know, I, I don't know. It's, and so but we, th- we hear that word with, and that's what we think. But actually, in Greek, it says, be filled in the Spirit, is the literal word in Greek. It's in. It's, it's en, which means in in English. Uh, and so I, the point being, be filled in or by means of the Spirit, or through the Spirit's instrumentality. In other words, it's not so much that I need more Holy Spirit in me, but it's that the Holy Spirit who is in me, by Him I need to be filled with, well, with the presence of, uh, of God's power and with Christ's character. You see, you have the Holy Spirit. You don't need more. Paul isn't saying, you're empty, so get more Holy Spirit. He's saying, let the Holy Spirit who lives in you influence and control your life. That's what that means, to be filled by the Holy Spirit. It's saying, let the Holy Spirit who lives in you have sway over your life and control you. You've all heard of DUI, driving under the influence. Well, Paul is advocating LUI, living under the influence. Allowing the Holy Spirit to be the one who controls and influences the decisions I make. Because the problem is, if we think of the Holy Spirit as some kind of liquid, like, I need more, we get into all kinds of problems. You know, I I don't have enough Holy Spirit. Boy, that person has a lot of Holy Spirit. I wish I could get more Holy Spirit like they have. You know, that's not it. The Holy Spirit is not a liquid. (laughs) I don't know if that sounds crazy to even say that. It's not a liquid. The Holy Spirit is a person. There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons of the Trinity. So you either have the Spirit or you don't. Either God the Holy Spirit lives in you or he doesn't. You can have some, more, partial, half, less. Either you are a Christian with the Holy Spirit or you aren't. When Paul says be filled with the Spirit, what he's really saying is let the Spirit who you have influence and control your life just as alcohol, when it's in you, controls your life. So let the spirit who is in you have influence and control over your life. That's the idea. You say, okay, Jeremy, I get the point. Why are you harping on this? I mean, why, this is like you're splitting little grammatical hairs. Okay, with the spirit, by the spirit. I mean, I get the point. You know, what's, the, what's the big deal here? Well, I think the big deal is once we come to the question of practical Christian living. Go back to our original analogy of the, the burnt house. How do I progress in the Christian life? How do I become more godly? How do I get rid of this anger in my heart, this unforgiveness in my heart, this prideful attitude in my heart? How do I become a more godly person in Christ? The answer is, be filled with the Spirit. 
But depending on how you interpret that phrase is going to have very different consequences on how you go about being filled with the Spirit. See, if you think of the Holy Spirit as some kind of liquid, like I need more and someone else has it, well, what that often does is it results in a seeking after people, places, and things that you perceive to have more Holy Spirit. So uh, you find out about some preacher or some speaker, or, or you see some preacher on TV, and they seem to have the Holy Spirit. They're the Spirit-filled ones. And you say, oh, I've got to go there. I've got to listen to that person. And may, maybe they'll, I'll go to their, their crusade, and they'll touch me, or they'll blow on me. No, give me some more Holy And then I'll go like, you know, I'll fall over. You've seen these crazy things on TV. You know, these guys who blow on people and they fall over. You know, it's, it's silly. You know, that's not how you get the Holy Spirit. It's not like I have a bunch and I'm going to give some to you. You have the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian. It's, it, that's not what it means to be filled up with the Spirit. Or sometimes you got, think you've got to go someplace. Oh, I heard they have this revival. There's a revival up in Toronto. There's a revival down in Brownsville. I'm empty. I need more Holy Spirit. So I get in my car, vroom, and, and the Holy Spirit must be there, so I just kind of, I don't know, fill up my tank because I need more Holy Spirit. It's just, it's confused thinking about what it means to have the Holy Spirit inside of us. I remember a story about this kind of confused thinking that Steve Smith told me. Do you guys remember Steve Smith, some of you? He was a pastoral intern who was here for about a year. Really nice guy. Uh, seminarian and wanted to become a pastor. And what was cool is he told the story about how he experienced his call into the pastoral ministry. He was at this church, and that, that Sunday the, uh, the pastor wasn't speaking, they had a guest speaker. And he affectionately calls this guest speaker the horse lady. I'll tell you why. Because this woman had this ministry of healing horses, apparently. This was her ministry. Apparently, at one point in her life, there, she, there was a racehorse that somehow she knew, and, and this racehorse was hurt or injured or sick or something, and she said, can I pray for your horse? And so she laid her hands on the horse, and uh, as the story goes, I mean, I can't affirm or deny it, but apparently the horse got better. And then she sort of got known that she could do this, and she would go around and lay hands on these thoroughbred racehorses, and the horses would get healed. And so she, she was kind of the horse healer, sort of like the horse whisperer, I guess, except the horse healer or something. Putting aside for a moment the question of whether or not this actually can be, whether or not God actually has given someone the gift of horse healing, putting aside that question for a moment, what was interesting to me in the story was what happened after the woman finished speaking. After she finished speaking, she said, if, if there's anyone here who'd like a touch from the Lord, I want you to come forward and I'm going to pray for you. People streamed forward. And all these people wanting the Lord in their life, wanting something from the Lord. And, and they just, you know, coming forward to have this, the, the horse lady touch them or pray for them or put her hands on them. And, you know, it's this kind of idea that there's some people who are special and they have more Holy Spirit. And there's some people who have less. And so you need to go to certain people to get it from them. You know? And so we think of a Spirit-filled Christian. I mean, what is a Spirit-filled Christian? And sometimes we can think, well, it must be some kind of super saint. A spirit-filled Christian is a super saint who has a special anointing or who's had some additional experience after salvation that makes them especially qualified and filled. And so I have to go to them, and they have to do something to me to give me whatever it is that they have. That's not what a spirit-filled Christian is. Do you want to know what a spirit-filled Christian is? It's a regular Christian like you who is living in obedience to the Holy Spirit and to God's Word. 
period. That's all a spirit-filled Christian is. It's a regular Christian like us who's living a life submitted to the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit, who is not being controlled by wine or drugs or anything else the world would want to control us with, but instead is allowing his or her life to be controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you will live in obedience to God's Word and the Holy Spirit, you will be a Spirit-filled Christian. You don't have to get a touch from me or the horse lady, or you don't have to go to Toronto or Brownsville or, or South Shore Baptist. You just need to submit your life to Christ. That's what it means to be Spirit-filled, is to live under the controlling influence of God's Spirit. Okay, so practically speaking then, how do I do that? Got it. I understand the concept. All right, how do I do that? If I wanted this afternoon to obey this verse, because remember, it is a command, be filled with the Spirit. If, if this afternoon I wanted to be filled with the Spirit, what would I do to get there? How do I go about doing this? Because I know how to be filled with wine and drunkenness. That's easy. You know, I go to the packy, I buy a bunch of wine, and I drink it. Okay, I know how to do that. So how do I be filled with the Spirit? I mean, is, is there some spiritual packy I go to? You know, how does it work? Like, I mean, I understand the concept, but practically speaking, how do I put this verse into motion? If it's not going to the horse lady, then where do I go? How do I do it? Well, the answer is right there in your hands. It's God's Word. In fact, put a finger here in Ephesians. I just want to show you something so cool. Oh, I love this. Put a finger here in Ephesians and flip over two verses to Colossians. Colossians is a wonderful book when you're studying Ephesians, and Ephesians is a wonderful book when you're studying Colossians because the two are so similar in structure and content that uh, they, it's almost, they're very similar. In fact, like I said, scholars kind of scratch their heads. They try to figure out why Ephesians and Colossians are so similar. There's all kinds of theories. Some say Paul wrote the letters one after the other. Some say Paul was looking at Colossians when he wrote Ephesians. You know, all these theories abound. No one knows for sure. But the fact is, they're very similar. But what that means for us is that if there's something that's confusing in Ephesians, we can look at Colossians. Or if there's something confusing in Colossians, we can often look at Ephesians. And the Scripture interprets Scripture, and that's how we understand what God's talking about. So if you look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and with gratitude in your hearts to God. You hear that? Now that verse is very similar to Ephesians 5.18. So put your finger there, flip back to 5.18. It says, be filled with the Spirit. Then verse 19, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, exact same three words. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you have these almost identical verses where you're commanded to do something and as a consequence of it, you speak to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and then there's gratitude. And what are the two things you're commanded? Well, in Ephesians, it's be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians, it's let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so if you want to be filled with the Spirit, if you want to live underneath the influence and control of the Holy Spirit, then God's Word has to dwell richly in my heart and in your heart. And when God's Word dwells in us richly, that's when the Spirit leads us and guides us. 
The Holy Spirit and the Word of God always go together. You always find them together in the Bible. You can't have the Word without the Spirit. You can't have the Spirit without the Word. If you want to understand the Word, you need the Spirit. And if you want more of the Spirit, you need the more Spirit's control in your life, you need the Word of God. They always go together. Whether that's way back in the book of Genesis, when God first created the world, and it says in Genesis that the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep, in the very next verse, and God said, let there be light. The Word and the Spirit went together. Or whether it's Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Ephesians six seventeen. Paul says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, and, and we could spend all morning just finding verses where you see this conjunction of the Spirit of God with the Word of God. The Word and the Spirit always go together. And so if you want the Spirit's control in your life, then you have to live with the Word of God in your life and vice versa. If we want the Word of God to dwell in us richly, we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The two always go together. So the way to be filled with the Spirit or to live under the controlling influence of the Spirit is by letting God's Word dwell in you richly. That means to read the Word. You've got to open it. You've got to study it. You've got to pray it. You've got to meditate on it. You've got to think about it. And most importantly, I have to do it. I have to do what it says. I can't just stay up here in my head. It's got to get down into my life. And when it dwells in me richly, I'm going to find that I'm living the Christian life naturally and it's not some artificial, guilt-driven endeavor. Rather, Christ is living through me through his word and spirit. It just it flows. It's hard to put into words how it happens, but it flows. My friends, you cannot grow in the Christian life. I'll say this categorically. You cannot grow in the Christian life with your Bible closed. Period. If your Bible, my Bible is closed and I'm not in the Word, I will not grow in the Christian life. We must have God's Word in our lives. We must be in the Word. The Word has to be in us. And that way we live by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now just to make a clarification, I'm not advocating here an intellectualized cerebral Christianity. Some people might hear this and say, well, you're just reducing Christianity to Bible study. You know, just go to seminary if you want to be a Christian, right? No, it's not what I'm saying. I'm not trying to reduce Christianity to some intellectual, cerebral exercise because it says in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And it has to get in and, and, and dwell inside of us and change us and change our hearts and change our attitudes. It can't just be some surface intellectual thing. I remember I was talking to a Christian guy recently, I know, and he was expressing some frustrations he had toward his experience in being in Bible studies with other Christians. I know all of us have been in Bible studies over the years, and, and one of his frustrations was that so many times he gets in these Bible studies with other Christians, and it stays very superficial. It stays very cerebral. It stays very intellectual. And you know, he wants to go deeper. He wants to say, okay, how does this work out in my life? But he finds that people, sometimes they, they don't really want to do that. And he was just frustrated. He said, I'd love to be in a Bible study where we not only study what the text means, but then we share from our own lives how that really is hitting us. And maybe even we give each other an action plan and say, you know, what, what are we going to do about this? And, and how can you help me with this? And, and here you go, hold me accountable to this. Next week when we get together for Bible study, ask me if I've done this this week. I mean, that's, that's a little bit scarier. I have to be honest. I mean, that scares me a little bit when I think of doing that kind of thing. 
But, but it's only when we allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, when we submit our lives to God's word and allow God's word to govern our lives, that we find the Holy Spirit working. But when we do that, when we live by this and what, let God's word dwell in us richly, you're going to find a, a power for Christian living that you're now seeking. Again, I don't want to oversimplify the Christian life and give you a little panacea or something like that, but power for Christian living comes by letting God's word dwell in us richly, which means being filled with the Spirit, and then instead of Christianity being a daunting list of do's and don'ts, Christianity becomes an intimate living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ where his life just flows in us and we walk in the Spirit and we keep in step with the Spirit. And you don't have to go to any TV preacher to get it. And you don't have to go to, to Brownsville or Toronto or South Shore Baptist. You just have to open it and meet with the Lord here. This is not just words. This is the Word of God. And when we delve into it, you're going to find that God is speaking to you. So now let's get super, super practical for a minute. Here's what I want you to do. Go home. Find a little quiet time, 10 minutes, so that's all you have. Open up your Bible, okay? If you don't have a Bible, take the one from the pew rack home with you. It's our gift to you. You need a Bible. Take a Bible home. Get home. Open it up. If you have never read the Bible before, maybe start in Ephesians, since that's what we're studying. Maybe look in the Gospel of John in the New Testament. And before you start reading, pray. Say, God, I really want to know you. I really want you leading my life, so I'm going to look in your word now. Please speak to me, Lord. Open your heart up to Christ. And then just start reading. You say, how long do I read? And my answer is, read until God says something to you. That's one of the strategies I use. And when I, when I do Bible study in my own devotional reading, sometimes I'll stop after two verses. Because God will have said something, or some verse, even one word, will strike me. And it'll be like, get hold of my heart. I think, oh. And, and I don't want to press on past it. I want to meditate on what God is saying. I, and then I pray about that. And I ask God to to reveal more in my life than needs to be submitted to whatever it is he told me. And when you start living that way, not only individually, but as a body in Bible studies, you're going to find the Holy Spirit leading you in ways that are kind of scary, but it's exciting. It's as if there's some greater power moving you along in your life as a Christian. And it's God's Spirit doing that. So uh, I forgot to tell you the end of the horse uh, whisperer lady story. Um, Steve Smith, that's where he felt called to be a pastor for the first time. And here's how it happened. Apparently, the, the, the horse lady was inviting people forward, and Steve said, I went forward. He says, I didn't want to get touched by the horse lady. I didn't want uh, her to pray over me. I wasn't looking for something from her. He says, but I just, I, I was looking for God. And so I just decided to go forward anyway. So he went forward, and he was up there with everyone kneeling and praying. And then he said, as he was praying, he looked out over all these people. And he saw them all there, bunching forward, so desperate for God in their life that they would even go forward to the horse lady to get a touch. And he said he saw them, and they looked like sheep without a shepherd. And he said, these people don't need the horse lady. They just need God's word. And it was as he saw these people needing God's word and to know Christ through his word, that he began to sense God not only pointing out to them that they needed the word, but saying, Steve, I'm calling you to be a good shepherd of the flock who will teach them the word of God. 
And it was as he saw that need that God spoke to his heart and he felt his first compulsion to become a pastor who would teach the word of God. My friends, you don't need some super mega evangelist crusade or whatever. I mean, it's great to go to those things and God blesses people through them. But it's not that they have something you don't. If you have... If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have in your hands right now the Word of God, and you have the power you need to live the Christian life, and so do I. Let's pray. Lord, I ask your forgiveness for my low estimation of your Word, for the way I constantly look for shortcuts in the Christian life, I look for quick fixes and for uh, panaceas and for wonder drugs that are going to fix my spiritual life with you. Lord, I look to special speakers and the newest program. And, and Lord, I, I'm so slow to go back to what has always been your way, which is your word. And God, I pray that I might be one of your children who lives submitted to your word. God, I want to be filled up with the Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to lead and control my life, to have influence and sway over me. And God, I pray that this would be a Spirit-filled church, that we would be people who love Christ, who love His Word, and as a result of that are filled up with the Holy Spirit so that the character of Christ would flow from us naturally and organically and supernaturally. So God, I pray, uh, move us to love Christ more. Move us to love Your Word more. Holy Spirit, flex your muscles, exert your power and your influence over our church. Make us people who are submitted to Christ and his word so that we might walk in you. We ask all this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Would you open up your hymnals for a closing hymn? It's, this hymn is really a prayer for what we want Christ to do in our lives. It's hymn 568, hymn 568. Would you uh, open your hymnals there and stand with me and let's sing this together as a closing prayer.
after the service. Our Sunday school closing program will be starting in about 15 minutes here. So if you have children, this is where we want you to be so your children can go off to Sunday school. And uh, we're also going to talk about adult education. So even if you don't have kids, we'd love for you to stay and just hear what's going to be happening in adult education this fall. So stick around. We're going to sing some songs and have some fun in about 15 minutes. Also, after the service, Pat Levitan and Bob Goff are over here. They're our prayer team. They've been praying for us during the service, and they would love to pray for you now if there's anything they could ask you to uh, ask God for in your life. And now, Lord, I just pray that you would bless this congregation with your love, with a sense and knowledge of your total devotion to them, God. That you, O oh Father, are the one who loved them so much that you sent your only Son to die for them. That you, Father, love them so much that you put your Holy Spirit, as impossible as it sounds, in their lives and in my life. And God, I pray that this knowledge of your great love for us would give us such a security, such a boldness, and such a joy that we might go out into this world to share what it is that you've given us so that others might come to know Christ too. We ask this in Jesus' name.